Hi there, and welcome to the media ministry of River Bible Church. I'm Pastor Dustin Daniels, inviting you to visit our website to download today's sermon notes. You can sign up for our newsletter and also submit a prayer request. We would love to pray for you and answer any questions that you may have. For more information, visit riverbible.org. Now let's open up the Word of God together for today's message. Well, if you would, please grab your Bibles and turn them to Mark chapter 11. We're going to be looking at verses 27 through 33 today. If you don't have a Bible, we've got Bibles in the back. That is our gift to you. As you turn there, let me review from last week, last Sunday. We wrapped up the narrative of the fig tree, and we learned some vital lessons when it comes to to prayer, we talked about forgiveness, and we also talked about the, uh, the, the false teachings of the prosperity gospel. A uh, couple key points from last week. Number one, we talked about how a lack of spiritual fruit is a lack of physical life. We talked about how faith is believing and trusting in God's ability rather than your human inabilities. Number three, we discussed how there is no power apart from God. And we discussed that there is no intrinsic, there is no inherent, there is no inborn power in ourselves. Only Jesus has that. And we know that because uh, he tells us in John chapter 5, verse 26, he says, the Father has life, he has life in himself, and he has granted that his Son have that life in himself as well. And, and we saw Jesus delegate this kind of power to the apostles, uh, but we are not apostles. Uh, the apostolic office is, is over. So our, our trust and our faith is in the Word of God to read it by the Spirit of God. We talked a lot about doubt, and, and doubt referring to not self-doubt, but really doubting God, doubting God's sovereignty, we discussed how your faith will always be mixed with some level of doubt. In other words, no one has perfect faith. Number six, we talked about how forgiveness is the most costly gift to give, and it's the most overwhelming gift to receive. And finally, we talked about how forgiveness, how it releases us from, uh, releases the other person from sin, but it also frees you up from pain. And that was in the context, what do we do when someone doesn't think they need forgiveness? Well, we still want to forgive them, absolutely, but that frees them of the sin, but it also frees us of the spiritual baggage of just being angry and the bitterness that comes with that. So that brings us to today's text. Mark's gospel now, he's going to move into a series of conflicts between Jesus and the religious leaders for the last time. And all of these conflicts, they deal with the subject of authority. Over the past year now of, of studying the gospel of Mark, we've learned how the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees, these religious leaders, they are authoritative. These men have real power. Uh, but to call them religious leaders, it's a bit deceiving because they're not really pastors. These men are not really shepherds. They're more like politicians, politicians attorneys and business owners. 
At best, you could say that they're religious businessmen. These men certainly, they didn't like the fact that Jesus walked into the temple and disrupted the usual Passover celebrations. Uh, Jesus didn't like the fact that they made his, the, the father's house into a, a den of thieves. And this is the second time that Jesus took control of the temple. The first time Jesus warned the leaders, and, the, and that was more of a cleansing. They didn't listen. So Jesus comes in the second time, three years later, and Jesus takes control once again, not to cleanse it though. What he does is he condemns it. He judges it. The leaders of the temple are guilty. Why? Because the Jewish leaders, they didn't, they just kept doing what they've always done. They didn't realize, they didn't recognize, they, they really can't see that they have no authority among God's people. I mean, they think they do, but it's just an illusion of authority. That authority has been transferred to the 12 apostles. 12 tribes do not have authority anymore. So today what we're going to see is Jesus square off with these so-called religious leaders for the last time. So in this corner, we have Jesus Christ, the Son of Man and the Son of God. And then in the other corner, we have what Jesus calls the sons of the devil. John chapter 8, verse 44. It's just a classic story of good versus evil in today's text. So who's going to win this first round? Let's find out. If you would, please stand for the reading and the honoring of God's Word. Mark chapter 11, verses 27 and following. So they came again to Jerusalem. And as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders came. And they asked him, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority to do these things? And Jesus said to them, I'm going to ask you one question, and then answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was John's baptism, was that from heaven or from human origin? Answer me. And they discussed it among themselves, and they said, if, you know, if we say from heaven, he's going to say, then why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin... Well, they were afraid of the crowd because everyone thought that John was truly a prophet. So they answered Jesus and they said, we don't know. And Jesus said to them, well, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. And this is the word of the Lord for us this morning. Please pray with me. So Father in heaven, it is a well, today is the day that, that you have made, and we're going to rejoice in it, and we're going to be glad. Thank you for bringing uh, us together to worship your Son. As you teach us, Lord, about authority today and how Jesus has the infinite authority given by you, Lord, I pray that you meet us where we are, that you would answer questions uh, via the text through Scripture that we didn't even know that we had today. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. Thank you, guys. Have a seat. Let's take a deeper look here at verse 27. So they came again to Jerusalem, and as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders came. So they, that's Jesus and the twelve, 
Now, this is still Wednesday morning of Passion Week. And Wednesday is a big, long day uh, for the ministry of Jesus. We're going to be talking about Wednesday for weeks now. So let's review this quickly. Jesus entered Jerusalem on Monday. It just so happens that Monday is Lamb Selection Day for Passover. And after the lambs were selected, they were tested for four days to ensure that they are without spot and blemish. So this physical concept, is, it's repeated in our text today as a spiritual reality. So in other words, just as the sacrificial animals were tested for four days, Jesus, the Lamb of God, he will be tested four times. And the first test begins in verse 27. The chief priest, the scribes, and the elders. So let's look at the players here. These, these men are the most powerful people in Jerusalem. We've got three distinct groups. Notice the, the definite article here. The chief priest, the scribes, and the elders. The priest, they were the Sadducees. The elders are the Pharisees. These men are representatives of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin is like the Jewish Supreme Court. And what they did is they controlled the temple. They had their own police force to enforce and execute justice. And they also had the authority to oversee the political and, and all the financial affairs of Jewish people. So in a way, these guys are middlemen. They're like a buffer zone between Rome and the nation of Israel. So the Sanhedrin is made up of, of, of those groups of people. Don't think that they're all on the same page with everything. It's kind of like putting Republicans and Democrats in the same room and trying to get them to agree on anything. That's what we have here with the Sanhedrin. They had the same issue except this. When it came to Jesus, they were all on the same page. 71 members of the Sanhedrin, they all wanted him dead. So when these men, when these members of the Sanhedrin, when they saw Jesus in the temple, Jesus is walking around, he is teaching. That's the, the normal rabbinic way of teaching in the temple. They probably wanted to arrest him on the spot. But the crowd prevents that. Jesus has a large crowd around him. So let's see what they say to Jesus here. Verse 28. They asked him, by what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you this authority to do these things? Do you hear the disgust in their voice? In other words, hey, Jesus, aren't you that carpenter guy from Nazareth? Aren't you? Yeah, you're the son of Mary. They say, by what authority, Jesus? See, they're asking about Jesus' credentials here. So in other words, Jesus, what school of theology did you graduate from? Now, this first question, it's really easy because everybody knows the answer. John chapter 7, verse 15, the, the Jews were amazed and they said, how is this man so learned? since he hasn't been trained. This guy, he doesn't have a master's degree. He doesn't have a PhD. He doesn't have a doctorate of ministry. Jesus had no official priestly or scribal authority to do what he had done the day before when he went into the, the temple and turned the tables over and kicked over the, the chairs. So these men, they were, they were questioning his legal right to undermine their authority because it was their authority that, that put um, the, uh, 
all the commerce in the, in the temple. Now, the second question deals with the source of that training. So who gave you this authority? So after asking about Jesus's credentials here, they, they now want to know the name of the person who had given Jesus this authority. Really, it's, it's kind of like the same question. Maybe they're talking over one another as they're interrogating Jesus here. But don't miss this. These are legitimate questions from the Sanhedrin. These guys have dealt with many rogue rabbis in the past. But as we know, Jesus, he is not a rogue rabbi, but rather he's the Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world. The central issue to the Sanhedrin is not simply what Jesus did, his, it, but it's his right to do it. Who gave him the authority to do what he did? Because false authority in the temple, that'll get you killed. That, that's grounds for capital punishment. So the Sanhedrin here deals with Jesus' external authority. Who gave you this authority to do these things? So they're pointing back, most likely, to Jesus turning over the tables and, and, um, and causing all the, the racket with all the commerce that he did the day before. It, it could also refer to all of the teachings that Jesus has done over the past three years because in rabbinic theology, a teacher only teaches what was handed down to him by his teacher. So in other words, a rabbi, he could not teach what he wanted. Rabbinic literature says this, a person must always transmit a tradition in the same words in which he received it from his teacher. Obviously, Jesus didn't do that. Now, let me get all geeky on you here for a second. There are two Greek words translated authority in the New Testament. Dunamis, it's the first one, it means power. We're not talking about Jesus' power today. We're talking about Jesus' rights and his privileges. Who gave Jesus the right to do what he's doing? That word is exousia, and that's what we're talking about today. That's the word used in verse 28. Now, let me ask you this. Did Jesus ever ask anyone for permission to do anything? No, no. Why? Because Jesus is not just a rabbi. Jesus is not just a king. He's the king of kings. He's not just the Lord. He is the Lord of all lords. See, his authority is infinite. And, and we've seen this time and time again over the past year of studying through the gospel of Mark. Jesus taught with authority. Let me show you this. Mark chapter 1, verse 22. The crowd recognized this immediately. They, the crowd, they were astonished at his teaching because he was teaching them as one who had authority, not like the scribes, not like those guys that just memorized stuff and just spewed it out. Jesus has the authority to forgive sin. We see this in Mark chapter 2, verse 10 so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on the earth to forgive sins. He told that paralytic. He said, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Jesus has the authority over the powers of hell. Mark chapter 1, verse 27. They, the, the crowd says, Jesus, he even commands the unclean spirits, and they obey him. See, it's one thing to command a spirit, a demon, a person to do something. It's, it's another thing for that thing 
to actually obey. And we see this time and time again through the Gospels. The spirits always obeyed Jesus. Jesus has the authority over life and death. John chapter 10, verse 18, Jesus says, No one takes my life from me. I lay it down. I have the right to, to lay it down, and I have the right to take it up again. Revelation chapter 1, verse 18, I am the first and I am the last. I am the living one. Jesus says, I was dead. But look, I'm alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. So all of that to say this, the Sanhedrin, they don't realize that Jesus has been given his authority, his exousia from God the Father. Matthew 28, 18, famous, famous passage, right? All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And here's the thing. Jesus has always had this kind of authority, always. God the Father told us that the Son of Man would have all authority through the prophet Daniel. So we learn about this in the Old Testament. Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. Daniel says, I continued watching in the night visions, and suddenly, one like a Son of Man, so that's Jesus, he was coming with the clouds of heaven, and then he approached the Ancient of Days. That's God the Father. And he was escorted before him. So think about this. We have Jesus walking before God the Father. Verse 14, Jesus was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, so that those of every people, nation, and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. It's not going to pass away. His kingdom is one, and it will not be destroyed. So we see Jesus' authority. It's predicted in the Old Testament. We see this authority uh, revealed in the Gospels through the miracles of Jesus. That proves what Jesus says is true. But do we see it in the epistles? Do we see it, in other words, do we see it in New Testament theology? We do. Let me show you. Let me give you one example here. Philippians chapter 2, verse 9, the Apostle Paul says this. For this reason, Jesus dying on a cross, for this reason God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee is going to bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So this question of authority, it's not just limited to the first century scribes and the Pharisees, right? It's one of the most important questions for us. And as we go and live our lives here in the Verde Valley and, and to our unbelieving friends, it's a very important question. Who has the authority in our lives? Uh, and and that's, that's why it's our job as River Bible Church to share the, to share the answer, right? That's why we, we, we talk so much about the, the three circles. Moving on to verse 29. Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question and then answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. So Jesus poses a counter question here. This style of debate, it really was a common teaching among the rabbis. Uh, Jesus uses this method because he's, he's not going to get into a debate about credentials. Talking about who's smarter really doesn't get you anywhere. 
Please note that Jesus, he's not dodging the question either. Uh, But what Jesus is trying to do is point these guys in the right direction because otherwise they're going down a one-way street the wrong way. These men are on the broad road that leads to a very real place called hell. Verse 30. So this is the question from Jesus. Was John's baptism from heaven or of human origin? So in other words, he's saying, was this backed by God? Or was, was John just kind of this this rogue teacher out in the middle of the desert baptizing people uh, on a solo mission. Jesus kind of does the same here, same thing here that he did uh, last week as well. Remember when Peter said, Rabbi, look, that fig tree that you cursed is withered. And then Jesus, he says kind of an odd response. He says, yeah, yeah, have faith in God. And we had to unpack that last week, right? We had to figure out what Jesus was referring to. We have a similar situation here. Is Jesus being evasive? Because it kind of sounds like it. What does John's baptism have to do with Jesus' authority? Well, to find out, we have to look at more Scripture because Scripture interprets Scripture. So Matthew chapter 11, verse 7, Jesus says this. He says to the crowd, what did you go out into the wilderness to see. Did you come out here to see this this reed just kind of swaying in the wind? Is that what you came out to see? And just, can you hear the crowd go, no, no, we didn't come out to see that or hear that. Verse 8, what then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothes? And the crowd going, no, no. Jesus says, those who wear soft clothes are in royal palaces. What then did you come out to see? And at that point, the crowd starts to murmur and talk. Can't you just hear it? We came out to see a prophet, someone from God. And Jesus says, a prophet? Yes, yes, I tell you. And he's more than a prophet. John the baptizer. This is the one about whom it is written. He says, see, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you. And he's going to prepare your way before you. So yes, indeed, John's ministry was absolutely from God. It was predicted in the Old Testament, the book of Malachi, 300 years before John was even born. But not only that, John, he was was filled with the Holy Spirit before he was even born. Luke's gospel says this about John's baptism. I tell you among those born of women that no one is greater than John. And then we get some commentary from Luke here. He says, when all the people including the tax collectors, they heard this, they acknowledged God's way of righteousness because they had been baptized with John's baptism. But since the Pharisees and the experts in the law, they had not been baptized by him, they rejected the plan of God for themselves. See, it's in John's baptism where we learn that the Sanhedrin, they reject both John and Jesus. It's also at John's baptism to where we see the authority of God the Father. We see this exousia when when God the Father commissions Jesus for the ministry. Look at this. Mark chapter 1 verse 9. In those days Jesus came from Nazareth and Galilee. He was baptized in the Jordan by John. And as soon as he came up out of the water, he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on Jesus like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. 
And he said, you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. I mean, dang. Dang. How, how much more proof do you need? You have the spirit present. You've got God the Father speaking from heaven. You need more proof? I've got more proof. John chapter 5, verse 31. Jesus says, if I testify about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who testifies about me, and I know that the testimony that he gives about me is true. You guys sent messengers to John, and he testified to the truth. And Jesus says this. He says, I don't receive human testimony. I don't need theological training like you. But I say these things so that you can be saved. John was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. And Jesus says, but listen, guys, I have a greater testimony than John because of the works that the Father has given me to accomplish. And these very works that I'm doing, they testify about me that the Father sent me. In other words, all these miracles, they prove that I am God wrapped up in skin and bones. So it's during this hostile environment here, it really is amazing. Jesus is trying to once again teach the Sanhedrin the truth. These men who hate him and despise him, he doesn't give up. And if they really want to know where Jesus received this authority to do all of these things, they must go back to John's baptism. This was a brilliant question, because if you have a positive decision about John, then you have a positive decision about Jesus and vice versa. So let's see what happens here. Verse 31 So they, so the Sanhedrin, they discussed it among themselves, and they said, well, if we say from heaven, well, he's going to say, then why don't you believe him? So pause. What do you think these men physically did at this point? Did they back away from the crowd and get get into some, like, holy huddle? And they're like, whispering, what should we do? I don't know. Is that what they did? What's Jesus doing as they're in their holy huddle? What's Jesus doing? Because he's watching this thing. Crowd's watching them. The crowd's watching Jesus. What's Jesus doing? And how long did that holy huddle take? Verse 32, so they're still discussing this, right? If we say of human origin, well, they're afraid of the crowd. Because everyone thought that John was truly a prophet. Now, when you read just a quick glance through the Old Testament, you're going to realize that a prophet has authority, real authority from God. And if John was a prophet from God, then Jesus even more so. Now, when when John the baptizer, when he became a martyr, it solidified John's prophetic status in the eyes of the Jewish people. So the Jewish people considered John a true prophet. If the Sanhedrin said that John was was baptizing on his own authority, that's going to cause a riot in the temple. In fact, Luke says this in in Luke chapter 20, verse 6. If we say of human origin, guys, listen up, they're going to stone us to death because they are convinced that John was a prophet. So they're not going to say that. 
they would have been killed for that answer. Notice here the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, they always feared the people, they always feared the crowd more than they feared God. So that's not a good option. They're not going to say that. What's the other option again? Well, if they said that the baptism of John was from God, Jesus is going to ask them, then why don't you believe him? I mean, after all, John is the one who said, look, that guy right there, that's the Lamb of God who has come to take away the sin of the world. That is God among us. So, I mean, this really is amazing after everything that Jesus has been through, confrontation after confrontation after confrontation with these religious leaders, Jesus is still inviting these men to repent. He's still revealing truth to them. So what's their final answer? Verse 33, so they answered Jesus, we don't know. We have no idea. And Jesus said to them, well, neither will I tell you by what authority I do all of these things. Turns out this was a great question for Jesus, a devastating question for the Sanhedrin. I mean, can you just imagine being there and watching this whole thing with your own two eyes? You're watching these proud and these smug religious people say, we don't know. We, we don't know. It's kind of like watching Fonzie on Happy Days. Y'all with me? You ever watched Fonzie say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm, he could never get it out. He could never say he was sorry. Same thing here. These guys, we don't, we don't know. We're supposed to be the smartest guys in the block, but we have no idea what you're talking about. Key point number one, proud people don't usually say, I don't know. Proud people don't usually say, I don't know. Now, for the Sanhedrin, this isn't entirely true because it's not that they didn't know. It's that they are unwilling to know. They don't want to know the truth. They love their power and their status. And I'm amazed at this point that Jesus didn't call them out and saying, guys, you do know. You absolutely know that John was a prophet. But Jesus, he didn't do that. He didn't embarrass them any further. Really, the Sanhedrin's words, uh, it, it proves them to be cowards. And the crowd knew that. Regardless, the Sanhedrin decided to concede this, this round to Jesus. Why is that? Key point number two. Religious people, they love religion more than a relationship with Jesus. Religious people love religion more than a relationship with Jesus. Jesus hates religion. He hates it. We could say it this way. People love their own version of God versus the one true living God. Because religion at first is easier, right, to keep all the rules. It's easier to do that, especially the rules that you like to keep. It gets harder as you grow up in the Lord, becomes impossible. You know, going through this narrative, 
and focusing in on this issue of authority, I was reminded of the prophet Joshua. Joshua was a great military leader. He was a great commander. Uh, Moses had just died. Joshua is now in charge. He is now administering authority. Joshua has this exousia for the nation of Israel. Uh, Moses, he commissioned Joshua in front of, of all Israel. He is their new leader. Everybody knows this. But look, Joshua chapter 5, verse 13. When Joshua was near Jericho, he looks up and he saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword. Uh-oh. Joshua approached him. Wow. All right. And Josh gets in his face and he says, are you for us or for our enemies? Verse 14, this man says, neither. <laughs> I have come now as the commander of the Lord's army. Now time out. Joshua is the commander of the Lord's army. The nation of Israel knows that. They, they watched Moses lay hands on him and commission him. Joshua's the guy. Joshua has been with Moses through everything. So what's Josh do? He bows with his face to the ground in homage. This is an act of humility. This is an act of worship. And he, he says, what does my Lord want to say to his servant? Josh does the very opposite of what the Sanhedrin did. See, the Sanhedrin, they cling to this illusion of their authority. They refuse to bow their, their knee to Jesus. But notice what Josh does here. He finds out that this man is, is the commander of the Lord's army. Guys, it's the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ standing in front of Josh. And he submits. Wow. How about you? Are you a Josh? Or are you a member of the Sanhedrin? You know, it's been said that absolute authority corrupts absolutely. But that's not true. Because the only one who has absolute authority is Jesus the Christ. And Jesus told us he came to serve. He didn't come to be served. The reality is that every single one of us in here, we all have a problem with authority. It's called rebellion. It's, our, it's in our spiritual DNA. We don't like to be told what to do. And we've all had problems with rebellion since Adam and Eve. Cain murders Abel, and we've been killing one another since. There used to be this divine chain of command for mankind. And it was glorious. And it was glorious because we can see the chain of command in the Trinity. God the Son submits to God the Father. The Holy Spirit submits to both. And yet God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they are all equal. But, they, but yet they have different roles. They, they are the same substance, but they have different roles. They are three in one and one in three. Men and women, we are equal but different. Have you noticed that men and women are different? 
Just asking. We complement one another. Our roles are different, and that's where we see God's glory. But, but guys, since the fall, that divine authority structure has been broken. Man used to be under God, but man is no, long, no longer under God. Man is under Satan. That is until Jesus made a way. Jesus made a way. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 The way is this. Jesus says, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. I'm the way. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, dear friends, you will be saved. That's the promise from, from God. Because when you believe in your heart, what that does is it results, it changes you. It, 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 there's a biblical term called righteousness. It's, it's more of an innocence. You are now innocent in front of God the Father. So one believes with the heart resulting in righteousness and one confesses with the mouth resulting in salvation. So in other words, Jesus came to pay the sin debt that you can't pay yourself. Now, next week, we as River Bible Church, we are going to model a biblical example of exousia, of authority. Next week, you guys are going to witness this delegation of authority with the commissioning of Brian Klimke as our new assistant pastor. Brian is not going to act on his own authority. You're going to see a public transfer of pastoral authority from River Bible Church of exousia. Now, this is something that, that, the, that the real church, the true church, doesn't take lightly. So obviously, we don't take it lightly because pastoral authority is a, waiting, a weighty calling. It's a calling that no man can do on his own. No, look, no man volunteers to be a pastor. You got to be called to do this. No one's that insane. <laughs> Sometimes I should just crank down the filter a little bit. (laughs) By God's grace, God has gifted you all with authority as well. And we see it in our homes. We see it in the business. We see it here in the church. And key point number three, and this is big. This is so big. Without people exercising authority and submitting to authority at the same time, there will always be chaos. Without people exercising their authority and submitting to authority at the same time, there will always be chaos. Joshua did both. Jesus did both. And practically, if you want to live a drama-free life, we, we have to learn to submit to one another. Many, many times we get ourselves in trouble because we assert ourselves where we have no authority. So key point number four. Life is easier when you stay in your own lane. Life is easier when you stay in your own lane. It's never a good idea to swerve over into oncoming traffic. Amen? If you have any questions about the gospel, if you have any questions about Jesus, if you want someone to pray for you, our prayer room is through the foyer and to the right 
Um, it, dear friends, if you would like to pray for other people, please, uh, please meet us in the prayer room as well. Uh, please pray with me. Father in heaven, thank you so much for allowing us to come and worship and to sing with a pure heart. Thank you for allowing us to open up your word and and go through it slowly and carefully and to read it out loud and to explain it. And now, Lord God, we get the privilege of applying it. Thank you for teaching us. Lord Jesus, that you have come to give us one way, that you didn't just leave us here in our own own filth, in our own sin, and in our own wretchedness, but you came to save us. You came to save us from ourselves, save us from the wrath of God, and to save us for your kingdom. Thank you for saving us, and thank you for showing us, Lord Jesus, that you are the only one who has infinite authority. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen.